favorite ways I like to use the freezer is keeping a frozen veggie scrap bag. I don't know if you guys have ever done this. It's a really simple, easy way to make use of something you'd otherwise throw away. So it's just a, a freezer bag that I keep in my freezer and I throw into it things like onion peels, celery tops, carrot ends, herb stems, mushrooms, stems, things like that. And then when the bag is full or whenever I am making broth, I just add the contents of that bag to my broth and I get extra flavor and nutrients from it. Facts do not have opinions. Just don't let perfection be the enemy of the good. Self-love is really about self-respect and acceptance. Welcome to The Whole View. I'm Stacey Toth of Real Everything. I'm here each week to dive deeper into how we can find happiness and health inside and out through self-love, body positivity, and discovering new ways to be our best selves. And before we get started, a reminder, this podcast is for general education purposes. This week, we're finding ways to be our best selves through connection with the earth and sustainability with my dear friend, Crystal of Whole Fed Homestead. Welcome, Crystal, to the Whole View, which you actually supported as part of our team for years, right? It was, it was quite a while you were with yeah. us. Yeah. Yeah, I did. I worked with you on your podcast for a while and now here I am on it. So thank you for having me. It's a full circle moment. It's one of those things where, you know, you went off to do your own thing and, and had things going and I've loved watching and learning from you on your social media, Whole Fed Homestead, your website. I actually really love your emails because they're like always educational and seeing you kind of grow and educate has been kind of like, I'm not your mom, but it feels like I'm like, oh, I'm so proud. Look at you go. So I'm excited that you're here to share yourself with our listeners and those of you who have been either listening to the show for a long time or reading the blog for a long time might remember Dr. Crystal. So I I think maybe we should start with, first of all, you recently published a book, Freeze Fresh, and it is a fantastic way to not waste food, which is something our family <laughs> really needs more tips and information on. So I'm looking forward to, to hearing all of your wisdom. And one of the things that I love that you integrate about how you educate is from your homestead, you incorporate the art and the science of homesteading. So that includes different things like from Freeze Fresh, incorporating food when it's fresh, and at its peak nutrient value, and then freezing it yourself to prevent waste or, you know, utilizing different parts of fruits and vegetables that maybe we're tossing or composting right now and we don't need to. And incorporating that from a scientific perspective with different methods to do it and um, different cooking methods. I love watching you like teach us different things. So I'm super excited about that, especially this time of year, because in... This transition from end of summer to autumn, at least where I live, there's tons of like end of year bounty of, you know, at farmer's markets and with farmers and different kinds of things. Like when I go to my farmer's market, they always have those inexpensive boxes of 
fruits and sometimes even like big bags of vegetables that you can buy at a discount. And then I come home and I have all this like super ripe produce that if I don't do something with is going to go bad. So it's a great way for us all to, you know, prevent waste and save money in you teaching us some of the ways to do that. And also when certain foods in my house are selectively not ideal for the teenagers, (laughs) like what to do with that instead of having it go bad and throw out. So I know I've personally moved away from talking so much about food, and that's simply a result of my own body piece. I do love the idea of learning how to reduce waste in the kitchen. Like, sustainability is very important for me. And frankly, Crystal, you are a wealth of knowledge. I can't imagine learning from anybody else in this stuff, from heirloom seed harvesting and creating plentiful orchards of specialized fruit to caretaking your whole farm. It always impresses me, including your chickens, full of the most wonderful personalities, even in your blistering Wisconsin winters. So I am super excited to learn more from you today. Can you share more about yourself with our listeners? I don't, I actually don't even know how you got started in homesteading. So maybe we can, (laughs) we can share that together. Yeah, you bet. I, I grew up living close to the land. I like to say my parents didn't call themselves homesteaders. I don't think that word was trendy back in the eighties like it is now, but my dad raised honeybees and meat rabbits. And we did a lot of fishing and hunting and foraging, and of course, had a garden. So I got an early start with all of that. And now I live in Wisconsin on a 19-acre homestead with my fellow Carl, where we try to, I would say reasonably, without burning ourselves out, grow as much of our own food as we can. We grow everything from a large garden and orchard to a nut grove. You raise honeybees and chickens for eggs. We grow mushrooms. We make our own maple syrup every year. So plenty of stuff to keep us busy. My biggest passion, though, within the world of homesteading is preserving. I love taking fresh, local food, often things that we grew ourselves, and squirreling it away, either by canning and dehydrating and root cellaring, or my favorite, freezing, and then turning it into something delicious. It's it's just the best. It fills my soul right to the top, and I love sharing about it. I love teaching about it through Instagram a lot, through my blog, through my YouTube channel, and now through my book. I grew up with my grandparents having, I didn't know that it was a a root cellar at that time. It was just a portion of the basement that had these like weird shelves of food. And I often wondered like what it was and hearing your story just really took me back to it being a lost art that my grandfather loved to garden. I mean, he had just like a regular suburban backyard like a lot myself and our listeners have and he spent every moment that he had like loving in that garden right like pouring his love into it and he had grown up in the depression so he had a lot of like scraps and different things that were left over that you know he just they never threw anything out and so he would compost before i even knew what composting was and different kinds of things like that and looking back i'm like oh those jars were his 
tomato sauces because he had a ton of tomatoes and he grew his own hot peppers. He he was Hungarian and he loved spices and hot peppers. And I didn't even realize at the time how cool it was that my grandfather was growing his own cultural hot peppers that weren't readily available in stores at the time. And I wish I would have understood it now. And when you said homesteading is more trendy now, I was like, absolutely. I would have been so into and thought it was so cool that my grandparents had this place in their basement and would have been really into like, they had cherries and so they jarred cherries and my grandmother would then make like cherry filling all year long. And they of course had a giant deep freezer and I know we're going to talk about freezing and different kinds of things, but it just kind of took me back to my grandparents did that. And I think for a generation or two, maybe their children didn't think it was cool. So they didn't like pass it on. But now I'm back to, I think it's cool. And I'm excited that we as a community are realizing how helpful those kinds of things are for sustainability, for all that kind of stuff. So I have been a believer in sustainability and homesteading for a very long time. I just don't think I understood it as much as I do now either. So that's kind of a a fascinating perspective. I personally, however, can hardly keep my house plants. (laughs) (laughs) from dying. I've had small (laughs) gardens over the years. Like I have a rosemary bush and we have like an herb raised bed and currently it's completely overrun with weeds, things like that. And I, I remember asking you years ago when I was like gung ho and had, you know, we had moved and you have all these big plans, right? Like I want to do all these things. And I reached out to you, like for those of us that are not naturally nature inclined, and when I do something, like I had this nice wooded area in the back of my yard and I really wanted to do bees and I was desperate for you to tell me that I could be a beekeeper and you recommended mushrooms. <laughs> and I was like, womp, womp, <laughs> but it was totally the right call. And I loved watching you do mushrooms at the time. Like you were sharing on social and I was like, I can do that. Um, and so we do, we have one tree that is like overwrought with mushrooms that we do nothing with. We just share it with the local wildlife that like I started and then did nothing with. And I was like, yes, that's much better than having abandoned bees. So maybe you can share more tips and ideas from your perspective with some of us average suburbanites or even city dwellers with limited space to practice some of what you do. I think it's really, I, I love that you're like a little bit into it. You live in the city, but you still are interested in, in doing all these things. And I love the story about your grandpa, that kind of stuff. I just eat that up. Stories about like the old ways and like people with a real root cellar, because I have kind of a fakey root cellar, but like a real old fashioned root cellar and how they used to can stuff and, you know, bringing over your seeds from your prized family heirlooms. I just, I love all of that. I think at the very core of modern day homesteading is wanting a lifestyle of greater self-sufficiency or or more importantly, community sufficiency. It's somebody who's interested in producing food or having a connection to their food. It's someone who desires to participate in nature, someone who values old-fashioned skills, forgotten skills like preserving, cooking from scratch even, I would say, as a becoming a forgotten skill. And anybody can do that, even if you live in a city. First, try growing something anything. You can grow a tomato plant in a pot. You can grow some herbs on your windowsill. You can grow microgreens even, which you can do completely inside your house. You don't need any outdoor input 
for that. You don't need any sun or anything. And then if you have a little bit more room, of course, like a garden box in your yard is a great idea, or even a few fruit shrubs. If you really have no green thumb at all, though, or if that part doesn't interest you, maybe you don't feel you have the time, one thing you could do is meet your local farmers, shop at the farmer's market, visit you, pick farms, things like that. Farmers and growers are incredibly passionate people who love to talk about what they're producing, and they love to meet the people they're serving. It can be a really rewarding relationship in that way. I'd also recommend learning a few easy ways you can preserve food or make the most of the food that you're buying. That's kind of that old-fashioned, like you said, don't waste anything, right? They didn't used to waste a single drop of food, a lot like, I mean, we have trouble with that these days, myself included. Freezing is a great preservation technique for beginners. It's quick, it's easy, and having a little knowledge about freezing can come in really handy for all sorts of times, like, I mean, maybe you just have extra produce that you won't finish before it goes bad, or Maybe you got something in a CSA box that you can't eat at the moment, or you like to buy in-season produce from the farmer's market. Perhaps you have a neighbor that has a tree full of peaches or pears they want to share with you. Maybe you found a good sale or discount on produce, or maybe you simply bought too many bananas. This podcast is sponsored by Felix Gray, who makes effective, research-backed blue light glasses. You all are constantly asking where I get mine, and now you can get your own at felixgrayglasses.com slash wholeview. Yes, I wear glasses daily. No, I do not have a prescription, but I strongly believe that wearing these has helped my eye health, preventing the need for any glasses at the age of 41. And if you're listening to this podcast, you are exposed to blue light. We actually did a deep dive in episode 302, and there is a ton of science about how disruptive and harmful the light emitted from electronic devices are for our eyes and overall health. So if you're spending time staring at your phone, tablet, computer, TV, or other devices, you may find yourself having some of the common symptoms like headaches, blurry vision, dry, tired eyes, and trouble sleeping. And exposure to blue light at night can lower the production of melatonin, the hormone that helps regulate your sleep. Felix Grey is different from other brands because they filter up to 15 times more of the most impactful blue light than other clear lenses. Nine out of 10 customers experience relief from eye strain, headaches, and blurry vision, and I am definitely one of them. You can protect yourself and make an amazing fashion statement with lenses that deflect blue light. I have the classic Jemisons and Whiskey Tortoise, the Librarian-esque Hopper in Manhattan Fade, both since 2019, and they're still working great, and my newer ones are Volta in the clear panorama color for a subtle effect that goes with everything, even if I have on bold makeup. And if you do have a prescription, you can add it to your Felix Grey lenses. So... To get the best blue light glasses in the market, use my URL, felixgrayglasses.com slash wholeview. Non-prescription and prescriptions are available. Check them out at felixgrayglasses.com slash wholeview. Free shipping, free returns, free exchanges. That's felixgrayglasses.com slash wholeview. This podcast is sponsored by Just Thrive with a new product I am so excited about. You've heard me talk about their probiotic for years, which I recommend to all of my skincare clients because your gut health impacts literally everything inside and out, including your well-being and mood. In fact, I was just at a conference last week and I had a bunch of people talk to me about how their skin has changed since they started taking Just Thrive, which I recommended. So not just my own clients, but 
everybody everywhere. I love Just Drive. And now they have a brand new product that represents a revolutionary new approach to uplifting your mood, your mind, your body naturally with Just Calm which has been clinically proven in multiple studies to help reduce perceived stress, balance cortisol, improve sleep quality, and encourage focus and flow. Just Calm contains B. longum 1714, which in studies has been found to modulate resting neural activity that correlated with enhanced vitality and reduced mental fatigue. I am so down with all of that. And it modulated neural responses during social stress, which may be involved in the activation of brain coping centers to counter-regulate negative emotions. I take mine with their spore-based probiotic, which I mentioned is clinically proven with more human clinical research than any other probiotic products out there. And it has a survival rate in your gut of greater than 99.9% of probiotics on the market that all die off when they hit your stomach acid. Plus, it's vegan-friendly, gluten-free, dairy-free, histamine-free, non-GMO, and Just Thrive Probiotic and Just Call make the perfect one-two punch backed by real scientific proven results to help you be your best. And right now, you can get 15% off this dynamic duo when you go to justthrivehealth.com and use code THEWHOLEVIEW at checkout. Honestly and sincerely, this is the only product I've ever seen make a difference in my and other people's skin and digestion. To try it now, get 15% off when you go to justthrivehealth.com and use code THEWHOLEVIEW. That includes bundles and subscriptions. I love the idea of it being community driven. Just this week, I had, we have like a neighborhood text chain and there was someone in the neighborhood who asked if anybody wanted cucumbers because they grew a bunch and have way too many. And I love getting texts like that, that really bring the community together. And it's lovely knowing that you grew something you can share if you're the person or, you know, that you get to eat something that someone lovingly grew we have fruit trees actually that represent each of the kids. So I have four fruit trees, two apple trees, different varieties, and then a cherry tree and a fig tree. You, I think fig, is it a shrub figs? Is it a tree or a shrub? It's a small tree usually, I think. Yeah. Well, they can get kind of big depending on where you are. Yeah. Like ours, when it's not in bloom is like to the knees. And then right now it's like to my eyes. It, it's crazy how it explodes, and then in the wintertime, it goes back down. Anyway, we just picked fig off of the fig tree, our first one this morning, that the local wildlife did not enjoy most of the time. The wildlife gets it before we do, but we usually are able to make like a, a cherry pie or something from the cherry tree, and the apples, unfortunately, before they're ripe, always get taken, but it's, it's interesting. I once had an, a neighbor ask me if they could have some of the cherries that were ripe that we had neglected and it's it's lovely to kind of have that even in a in a suburban atmosphere right like I'm certainly not being self-sufficient by any means actually I really need tips on (laughs) ideas on food preservation (laughs) and preventing waste because I feel like post-pandemic our family has gone wild Uh, again, this is not the first time, with just buying what's in front of us at the store. Like, it feels like an exciting option that we haven't had for so long when we were, like, ordering everything online and getting it delivered. And then, of course, because we're doing that, there's 
no plan. And so inevitably there's waste. And especially with the cost of food being as high as it is right now, I know many of us would love more of those tips in terms of how to best use our pantry, our fridge, our freezer for storing those fruits and vegetables before they go bad, if we've bought them, like how to get the most out of them. Well, let me give you a few really common easy ones. I know for me, and I think a lot of people can relate, a few foods that I always catch myself needing to throw out or coming close to needing to throw out because they've gone to the dark side are lettuce, herbs, and citrus. And this is where the freezer comes in really handy. So for lettuce, um, you have to you have to get to it before it turns brown and slimy. And if it's a, especially if it's like a tub of lettuce, just throw it right into the blender. And you can do this with other greens too, spinach, whatever you have. Add a little water so it blends, blend it up. It'll turn into a lettuce slurry. And you can pour that into ice cube trays and freeze it. Obviously, you're not going to use this for a salad, but it does make an excellent addition to a smoothie or a green juice. And it's a great way to add extra veggies to your smoothie and not let that food go to waste. That's super helpful because I buy baby spinach a lot with the intent of like having a daily smoothie and eating it. And so then I've got like a ton of baby spinach that nobody else will eat in the house. I don't know why. I I just make a salad with the baby spinach people. But I'm assuming I could do that with the lettuce as well. Yes, lettuce, spinach, kale, Swiss chard. You can even go outside in your yard and pick the dandelion greens if you want and blend them them (laughs) up and throw them in the freezer. I do that with bananas, but like never thought about making it with anything else because it hadn't occurred to me, oh, I could just blend it with water and then save it. And honestly, that would make the smoothies that much easier to make too. Because then you're just tossing in things that are already frozen versus needing to kind of like prep fresh foods. So that's a, a great idea. You said yeah, there are a lot of there are a lot of foods that you can use that the banana approach, I call it, where you kind of just throw them in the freezer. So citrus, that's another really easy one. Just if you have extra lemons and extra limes, cut them into rounds. You can cut them into wedges, whatever. Freeze them on a parchment lined pan and then transfer them to a freezer bag for storage and you can use them in your water. I love using them as fruity ice cubes in my water or you can bake with them, stuff them inside a roast chicken, things like that. And then herbs, if you have extra herbs, you can simply chop them and freeze them. I know a lot of people will say to freeze them in olive oil, like in an ice cube tray. You don't need to do that. It's way simpler than that. Just mince them and freeze them in a small container. Basil, I do a little bit differently, but every other herb freezes well this way, just chopped and frozen. I like to do blends too. I have a winter soup blend that is parsley, sage, rosemary, and thyme. It's delicious and it goes in every soup that I make all winter long. That's a great blend and idea. So and just to make sure I'm understanding because this is this is very new to me because I've seen people make the you know the the oil herb cubes before and frankly, I just don't. But I do have like a rosemary bush that always gets very sad in the winter time. And so I'm like, oh, I could go take much of those herbs before they go bad. And I would just take the the stems off, right? Just the like the little leaves and then put it in like a stasher bag or, you know, something like that in the freezer. And then I don't need to thaw them. I don't need to to do anything else. I just put them in whatever I'm cooking like I normally would if it were fresh rosemary. 
Yes, that is exactly right. When rosemary is kind of small anyway, so you didn't, you wouldn't even have to chop it. Just strip the leaves from the woody stem, throw it in a container. Stasher bag works great. Freezer bag works great. You can use recycled yogurt containers, things like that, whatever you have. And yep, when you need to use it, take that container out of the freezer, pinch some of the frozen herbs, throw it in whatever you're cooking, and that's it. I So also the citrus. So you're just like slicing them. What if there's like a bruise on one side? There's usually something that's quote unquote wrong that makes things in our house be ignored by the teenagers who are otherwise ravenous. I can just cut that part off. And then I love the idea of like putting it in water and and different things to flavor it. So I just, I could just use the rest of the fruit, right? Yes, absolutely. And that's one benefit of freezing. So if you get into canning and other preservations like that, they will tell you not to use food that is moldy or has a bad spot on it. Like you should only use the most pristine fruits and vegetables for canning, but for freezing, that doesn't apply at all. You can absolutely cut out that spot, cut around it and freeze and freeze your citrus. Yep. Just like you said. And then one of my other favorite ways I like to use the freezer is keeping a frozen veggie scrap bag. I don't know if you guys have ever done this. It's a really simple, easy way to make use of something you'd otherwise throw away. So it's just a a freezer bag that I keep in my freezer and I throw into it things like onion peels, celery tops, carrot ends, herb stems, mushroom stems, things like that. And then when the bag is full or whenever I am making broth, I just add the contents of that bag to my broth and I get extra flavor and nutrients from it. Such a genius genius idea like I don't know why something so simple is literally blowing my mind especially since I currently pay for frozen vegetables to add to smoothies and broths like oh face palm while also throwing away the things that you just mentioned so I'm curious like other than utilizing the stuff that we might already have that is going to go bad and trying to prevent that. Do you have other mind-blowing tips to leverage some of these other ideas when you have, for example, like a huge influx of those big bags and boxes at a farmer's market or, you know, our family loves to do pick your own. And when we come home, because there's so many of us, we have bushels of peaches or, you know, whatever it is to kind of prevent that from going to waste and optimize using it. Yeah, definitely. With the end of harvest season approaching, it is a great time to take advantage of finding local fruits and veggies and putting them up for the winter. And this time of year, there's a lot of produce available that will keep wonderfully without much input at all, like apples, squash, and potatoes. Those are a few big ones that are available right now. Did you know you could store apples in your fridge for like an entire year? About two weeks ago, I ate the last apple that I picked last year in October, and it was as crisp and juicy as ever. And while you don't have to go to that, quite that extreme, having fresh local tree ripened apples well into winter is such a delight. And, and, you know, I know I've seen you, your family do this for years. Picking apples out of you pick farm is such a fun fall activity. Anyways, there's a a couple tricks to it though. I do have a video on my YouTube channel with full instructions if you need, but I'll give you the high points. So if you want apples to store a long time, months, in your fridge. They have to be fresh from an orchard. And ideally you pick them yourself because you have to be incredibly gentle with them. They can't have blemishes or bruises. This is really the key. And don't wash them. You want them to have their natural 
waxy bloom. Variety matters. They need to be a variety that is a good keeper. Usually later season apples keep better or apples that are really crisp or dense keep better. My favorite tried and true variety for long-term storage is the Honeycrisp. And if you're unsure, you can just ask your orchard people which variety would be the best storing. They will know. And we just pack them in thick plastic bags. We leave a little air opening at the top for gases to escape and then stash them in the fridge and eat beautiful apples all winter long. If you want to take it a step further though, or maybe you pick a lot of apples and want to do something extra special with them, you can freeze them as pie filling or like apple crisp filling, which is one of my favorite things to do every year. It's actually on my list to do this weekend. It's really easy. Instructions for that are in my book. I love throwing a bag of apple pie filling and having it ready to just plop into a dish and bake. Super easy. Also, applesauce freezes wonderfully too. I know a lot of people will tend to can applesauce. That's a common thing that people will can, but it also freezes really wonderfully too. And then you can have homemade applesauce at the ready whenever you want. Apples are actually my favorite part of fall season. Like everybody loves pumpkin spice and pumpkin. And I am an apple girl. Like I just, I love them. That's part of why we, you pick so many (laughs) because I love to have them. And I love the idea of having them year round. I will admit, however, that I fail somehow every time. So we have like these boxes of apples and I'm, I'm realizing now that you're saying they need to not be bruised because when we go, you pick farming, you can imagine my four teenagers, like chucking apples into the wagon. (laughs) Right? Like they're not, they're not treating them with the gentle care that I'm sure you are when you're picking. And so then what we're doing is we're putting it, this, this big box in our We have like an extra fridge in our laundry room from, you know, it's very old from like before we renovated the kitchen or whatever. And that's like our our bonus fridge where we keep things like apples all year long. But they always go bad, like especially, you know, the the ones at the bottom. So do you you're saying you put them in bags? I'm assuming I have to like layer them somehow. I can't just put a big box of apples in my fridge. Obviously, I've tried this several times and it never turns out well. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, they need the part of the key is keeping their moisture in so they don't get all wrinkly. But your your issue might also yes, the bruising, you tell the boys not to throw them into the into the bins, but it might be that you're not getting a good variety for storing too. But yes, if you do all of those things correctly, you can have just lovely apples. They won't go bad in your fridge and they'll keep for a long time. And if they are bruised, I can just cut that part off and then freeze the rest, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's that's what I usually have done the last few years after unsuccessfully being able to keep them in the fridge. I I love just slicing them up because admittedly like my biggest barrier is needing to do something with the fruits or veggies. Like if it requires a bunch of prep work, it's it's just not going to get done. Would love to put that burden on the children, but I think once I've had them spend the day with me and go you pick farming, which they really don't want to do as a teenager anymore, I can't really like ask them to also help me prep all the food. And so if I just use my apple slicer, like I know a lot of people have all kinds of fancy devices or whatever, but for me, the quickest and easiest thing is, you know, those metal... Um, apple slicers I just push it down and then I grab the whole thing with the skin on and put it in the freezer and that's been 
the way that I've created the least amount of waste. And then I'm able to do things like you said, like create applesauce or uh, apples are actually really great and savory applications. I love to cook them with like pork or different kinds of food. And when you're bringing them from the freezer, like you want them to kind of like be softened in your Instapot or whatever anyway. So it works out. And I, I really love making dump cakes. Like that's my, that's one of my favorite things. I have one of these like things where I spent so long making recipes. Matt and I both were, we kind of got like burned out from cooking and making recipes. And so now anything that is like quick and easy, I'm like, Oh, I can dump this bag of frozen apples in and then like shake a, cake mix on top and put some butter on like yes I can do that <laughs> I'm not going to like make a pie from scratch anymore but I'm like I would love to eat your apple pie filling I just don't want to make it myself I'm admitting much much to everybody listen having four teenagers is is exhausting I'll just I'll tell you that and so you you take your wins where you can and I think one of the other things that's um kind of a barrier for me with especially with the kids too is like I feel like things have about two minutes of appropriate ripeness, especially for them. Like an avocado is too hard. They won't eat it. And then, you know, so I have a bag of avocados and then it's ripe for about two minutes. And then not everybody makes avocado toast that day (laughs) or, you know, whatever it is. And then it's overripe and they won't touch it. Like if it's right now, we have a whole bunch of bananas that are overly ripe and they won't eat it. And so... I am pretty good about throwing the bananas in the freezer because I love smoothies or if I can convince one of the kids to make banana bread, but it's usually what we do. But I'm wondering, I mean, because I find this to be the case with a lot of our fruits and vegetables that by the time I realize I need to use it, it's nearly like too late with us again, because the children won't touch it. So, so if you have ideas for those of us, not only as adept or skilled as you, but also just tired of cooking (laughs) or not, you know, not able to prep as much. What are, what are some other foods that maybe we could fill our kitchen with that are less likely to kind of like preserve fine on their own, so to speak? I love that you mentioned fruit and your apples. So fruit is just a great one. And I love that you found you can just slice them really quick with your apple slicer and throw them in the freezer. That's so awesome. And you can do that with so many, so many other fruits too. If you want a really easy one, squash. Squash are great. Squash want to keep a long, long time for you. You have a long window to use them. Potatoes, too. They're totally designed for it, and both of these things don't need refrigeration. They don't need a root cellar. They don't need pampering or anything special, and they'll keep a good long while. So if you're picking out, if you're at a market, you're at the store, you're picking out a squash or a bunch of squash with the intention of keeping them for a while, Look for one that doesn't have any nicks or like open flesh wounds. They should be fully intact. And you also want to get the ripest one that you can because a ripe squash is a sweet and full flavored squash and it will also store the best. So first look at the stem. It should look more dried and dead than green and alive. And then look at the color of the squash itself and look for one that is really deep in color, like deep yellows and goldens and oranges and avoid anything that is green tinged. Unless, of course, they are meant to be a green squash, then you're you're kind of on your own there. But you can also look at their spot. Where a squash sits on and is touching the ground in the field, it will usually have an orange or yellow spot, just like a watermelon has. And you wanna look for the spot to be richly colored. The darker, the better. And 
by the way, even if you don't intend to store a squash long-term, these are also things to look for to get the best tasting squash you can. But then when you get home, store the squash in the coolest, darkest place in your house. Don't close them up in plastic or anything. They need to breathe. And if you're storing a lot of them and you want them to last a long time, it's usually a good idea to set them in something waterproof like a bin just in case one does start to rot. And this can be just on the floor of your regular pantry or even under a bed if you are if you need more room. That's it. Even at room temperature, you should get at least a couple months out of them. Some varieties do store better than others. Two very popular, very long-storing ones are butternut and spaghetti squash. I actually have a two-year-old spaghetti squash in my closet right now. It's probably (laughs) probably not great inside, but it probably would be (laughs) edible if I'm desperate. And then if you want to take it one step further with squash, you can roast them in the oven, scoop out all the flesh, puree the flesh, and freeze it. It freezes wonderfully, and it can be used however you would use canned pumpkin. Only it's, you know, so much better and so much more fun because you did it yourself. I'm curious about, I love the the tips on squash. These are all winter squash though, right? So summer squash like zucchini would not be stored in the cellar. I'm storing those in my fridge, right? Yes, definitely. Talking about the hard-sided winter squash for yeah. this. Okay. I currently purchase like zucchini noodles from... Costco or wherever and put them in my smoothies while also having zucchini go bad, (laughs) which always frustrates me because I'm like, I could just put it through the food processor. (laughs) Oh, Stacey, you know what you should do? So take that zucchini that's going to go bad, Uh just cut it into chunks, put it on a pan and freeze it. And then you can use it just as like ice cubes. You know, it blends right into your smoothie and it will take you literally... 15 seconds. I don't have to make it zucchini. smaller than that? No. I mean, your your blender blends ice cubes, right? Yeah. Okay, that's <laughs> just that feels, that feels so much more. I know this is ridiculous, but that feels so much more attainable than like getting out the food processor. <laughs> yeah, no, you're making it way more difficult. Don't Good so to easy. No, good to know. Also, I love that you mentioned pumpkins because one of my favorite things to do, we still carve pumpkins. I, I think no matter how old we get myself the kids halloween is like my favorite holiday and so we always love to carve pumpkins and we do it the day of halloween historically i know a lot of people do this in advance and then they leave their jack-o'-lanterns on their porch for a long time but growing up that's i remember doing it very soon towards halloween and i think that my mom because we we didn't have a lot of money growing up i think that my mom probably was doing the same thing i did which is that if you do it the day of then you have all the seeds that you save and you, uh, we love pumpkin making our own pumpkin seeds but also then the pumpkin hasn't been sitting out aside for days or weeks and we bring it inside that same night and then we save the flesh we just like cut the jack-o'-lantern in half turn it upside down and bake it and then turn that into puree that we can keep and we don't can it but it we we do like you said just turn it into something for the freezer and then it works so well in like chili I love making pumpkin chili and then of course you know you could use it for baking like oh it's really good in oatmeal too so I'm assuming like people could do that with any sort of winter squash but definitely if you're going to have large pumpkins for jack-o'-lanterns like use it as food it can it can be food and 
sugar pumpkins, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Crystal, but like sugar pumpkins, the ones that are usually used for baking are the smaller ones. When you get like the large jack-o'-lanterns, they're not exactly full of flavor or as sweet. So that's why we end up using them in like oatmeal or chili. When you're adding a whole bunch of other flavors to it, I think it tastes better. Yeah, you nailed it. Yep, they're I think that's so great. Like, have your fun with it and carve your pumpkin and then don't I have let it go. A, I have a couple of things I can feel good about. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you don't let them go to waste. I think that is so awesome. You enjoy it and then you get to eat it. Win-win. Indeed. So another thing that I think you mentioned was potatoes. Is there a difference between how we store like sweet potatoes and regular potatoes? And is it true that... We should not be storing onions in the same container. And I want to I want to say that I do know this about bananas. Like, do not put bananas in with the rest of your fruits because they off gas and they will overripen everything else. But when we're talking about putting like these winter squash and potatoes and sweet potatoes in a pantry, can I put my onions with that stuff or is it is that problematic? Ideally, you would store them separately. Um, but really for potatoes, the important thing the most important thing, if you remember one thing, is that they need darkness, as dark as you can possibly get. Even light coming in from around a pantry door isn't ideal for potatoes if you have a lot of them and you want them to keep because they'll start to sprout. And a cabinet works well basically anywhere they can have a little breathing room but is still dark. And the cooler the better, but you can get a decent storage life out of them if they're just in the dark at a last resort, like if you really don't have any dark places try putting them in doubled paper bags like grocery bags that you roll close to keep out as much light as possible and that's for true potatoes not sweet potatoes yes correct sweet potatoes i find have a little bit more longevity and don't respond to light quite as fast as regular potatoes do Interesting. Okay. We have this like tiered shelving unit in our pantry and it originally I got it because it's on wheels and I imagined us like wheeling it out instead of having to like carry heavy potatoes. Of course, it's never moved since I've put it in the <laughs> in the pantry, but it's like shelves of squash and potatoes, sweet potatoes and onions. So I'm going to move the onions someplace else. And I think I'm going to need to move the potato somewhere else too, because I noticed that they sprout more quickly than the other things. So I think there's just like too much light coming in based on what you're telling me. I just want to confirm <laughs> while I have your expertise here, it's okay to eat the sprouted potatoes, right? Like I just kind of pluck off the sprouts and then peel the potato and we just go about our day like we normally would. Um, I'm hoping that you're going to say that's fine because I've been doing it to my family for many years. Yes, you can definitely eat sprouted potatoes. Just don't eat the sprouts themselves and don't eat the potato if the skin is really, really green. I do believe sprouted potatoes tend to have more solanine in them, which is mostly in the skin anyway. So if they're sprouted, I always just peel them before using, but they are total, totally usable. Yes. Okay. Excellent. Well, they make great mashed potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, everyone is learning about my terrible mothering skills. <laughs> but glad to hear, you know, I, I do think that some of these things are about not wasting, right? And like, sometimes when you find that your potatoes have sprouted, like you don't want to have to, you know, toss them out. Or if I, if I actually had a garden to compost or, you know what I mean? Like, it just feels like such a waste. So yeah. I'm glad to... And I think there's, there's a lot of things that people waste that you don't have to be wasting. Yes. Yeah. 
Well, I, I'm going to make the whole family listen to this, and the next time that they tell me they're not going to eat an apple because it's bruised, I'm going to be like, great, then you can be the one to slice it up and put it in the freezer. <laughs> <laughs> That'll go over really well. Yeah, I don't think it'll go over <laughs> Uh, well, Crystal, thank you so much for joining us. I want to remind our listeners that they can find your book, Freeze Fresh, The Ultimate Guide to Preserving 55 Fruits and Vegetables for Maximum Flavor and Versatility on Amazon. And we're going to put a link in the show notes. We can also follow you for many more tips at wholefedhomestead.com. I highly suggest subscribing to Crystal's email. You can also find her on Instagram and YouTube. Her chickens are so fun and for full of personality. And one of my favorite things that you do, Crystal, and I don't know if you know this about yourself. So I want to tell you and listeners, I love when you do like the step-by-step of when you're processing certain things in your kitchen. It is so incredibly helpful because I feel like when you watch cooking shows or whatever, there's like cut points and you don't see every little step that someone is doing and the tips that you give for the transition between the steps or like how to store things or how to not let some part of what you're doing go to waste is so incredibly helpful. So I know you have a YouTube channel. I personally just find a lot of that on your Instagram and in your stories. So I want to encourage people to to look you up at Whole Fed Homestead. And we're going to be sharing more of what we really thought over on patreon.com slash the whole view. The best place also to ask questions if you have follow-ups or anything like that. And if you love the show that we create and produce ourselves, the Patreon is a great way to support the show. And so is leaving a review, hitting that follower subscribe button in the podcast app that you're using. Tell other people if you listen to the show and you're inspired and you had good ideas, share it with them. And when you leave a review, that also tells people who are looking for the podcast that it is worth their while. So Crystal, is there anything I forgot? No, I think you covered it all. Thank you so much for having me. This was really fun. I just, I love talking about all things preserving and and all of that. So (laughs) thanks for letting me be here. You're always welcome here and expect that in the future I'm going to be sending you photos of moldy citrus and asking are you sure this is okay (laughs) (laughs) oh well thank you so much for joining us and listeners we'll be back again next week the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.